Now that all the fuss has died down and the world has come to terms with the demise of the headphone jack, we can now start all looking forward to the iPhone 10 and continue to wonder why Apple has left the MacBook untouched for some 400 odd days. You're listening to the Essential Apple Show where we try to make sense of the nonsense in the last 7 to 10 days of Apple news, reviews, roundup, rumours and anything else that catches our eye really. Joining me this week... There's no Carl, Matt, Barry, Rick. Well, no surprise there. But I have Chris Dejabay. Is that right? Did I get that one right? Dejabay. Dejabay. It, it's a it's a tough one. It's Dejabay. So yeah. Uh, thanks, mom and dad. So yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris is from the awesome One Password team. Don't use One Password. Use One Password. But before we go into the uh, the thing with Chris, I just I thought it'd be a good guest to have on. Let's go into some announcements. So this week marks the week where we're going to be joining the MyMac.com podcast community. Now, nothing's going to change on our show. You might hear a few idents from other shows sprinkled throughout. And they'll be doing the same for us. So hopefully we're going to get more listeners, more feedback. And, uh, well, we just thought we'd give it a try, really. So hi to everyone on the MyMac.com website and the Slack channel. And secondly, I'm going to queue up a sound effect for this. I've spent hours looking for this. Sound the horns, bring out the parade boat, hoist the mainsail, fly the flags in full mast. Why? Well, why is it all nautical based for a, a celebration for a start? I've got my very first, or the show's got his very first Patreon subscriber. Completely, completely out of the blue. The amazing Teresa H from the Facebook group has made a donation. Thank you very much. Uh, and I will be sending you something very special on the Facebook soon. Chris, now we've got all the admin stuff out of the way. How is it doing? Where in the world are you? Because I've completely forgot what time zone you're in. So yeah, uh, Agile Bits, the company that makes one password, uh, the company at work for is actually based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, but we're a very remote company. And so we have folks all over the world. We have a few folks in England. Uh, we have a few folks in, uh, um, Germany and all over the U S Canada and even New Zealand. And so I'm actually in Lincoln, Nebraska here in the United States. How has life been since the September 7th, uh, sorry, the September event? Did, what did you end up purchasing in the end? Well, I ended up purchasing uh, the uh, iPhone seven, uh, not the plus, but the seven in matte black. And, uh, um, I came off of the six, so I was due for a new phone. And then uh, I treated myself to the uh, Apple Watch Series 2 in Space Gray. I've pretty much done the same. In fact, if you hold on for one second, I've got an idea for a bit of a quiz. Just hold on for me one second while I run to the room and get my iPad. One second. After a seamless bit of podcast editing music, I'm back. I actually had this idea, but I forgot about it a second ago. Do you know how we're saying just how fast the iPhone 7 is? I've, I'm like you. I've jumped from the 6 to the 7, and I've been doing some benchmarking. So let me just bring up my pages thing here, because I've been using sorry numbers thing. For everyday tasks, I've been doing some benchmarks. I'd be interested to know, what device do you think is the fastest to encode five minutes of iMovie? 
out of these devices. So I've got an iMac 2011. I've got a Mac Mini, late 2012, with a Core i7 processor. I've got an iPad Air 1, an iPhone 6, and the iPhone 7. Now, to give you an idea, I've just recorded a bit of the September event. Uh, all I've done is your screen recorder. I then banged it into iMovie and said, export five minutes of this clip. What device do you think was the fastest? And what device do you think was the slowest? Oh, it's got to be the iPhone 7 being the fastest. And the slowest has got to be that Mac Mini. Damn, you got this spot on the money. <laughs> What well, go on, just out of interest, what made you guess that? Because I thought the Mac Mini was going to be a hell of a lot faster. Oh, no, no. I, the Mac Mini is, uh, heck, the i7 in it is how many generations old? Uh, I don't know. I just, I, I follow a lot of the Apple news, and so I, I don't know. I kind of went with my gut. Well, to give you an idea, uh, in reverse order so for a 1080p encode the mac mini took five minutes 15 seconds the imac took four minutes 35 this is where it gets interesting now the ipad air one two minutes 28 the iphone 6 two minute five seconds and the iphone 7 one minute 30 that's incredible I couldn't believe it. And this is the average over three tests. So I didn't know anything special with the devices. I didn't format them or set them all to zero or close any apps. I thought, well, I'm, I'm just going to test it as if I was testing anything else, really. And the same applies for the 720p encode. So once again, the Mac Mini, bizarrely, takes 5 minutes 25 seconds. The iMac, 2011, 3 minutes 55. The iPad Air 1, 2 minutes 7. The iPhone 6, 158. The iPhone 7, 48 seconds. That's amazing. I know. Uh, I've done some very, very quick benchmarking of converting 10 minutes of audio, sorry, 10 minutes of, sorry, 15 minutes of AIFF to MP3. Uh, all I've got here so far is the iPhone 5S, 20 seconds, the iPad Air, 13 seconds, and the iPhone 7, 6 seconds. That's all very, very highly uncomplicated and unscientific details. How are you finding the iPhone 7? Is there any sort of killer feature about it? Or did you just get it because it was for the take it was it was time for an upgrade? It was time for an upgrade for me. Uh I was just getting off contract and wanted to start up with the iPhone upgrade program. Uh but this is my first device that has 3D touch, and I have absolutely fallen in love with 3d touch yep very much the same here every single app icon now i've been pressing and holding to see what happens does um i've found i haven't checked one password does one password have any 3d touch stuff on it absolutely yeah um if you uh touch the icon we have search favorites and new item where you can jump right into those things and if you go into the app itself and you're in the uh list view of your items you can do peek and pop gestures on them where you press a little bit and you get a preview and then you press a little bit deeper and it will uh, expand the full item and when you're in the peak gesture where you're just uh, previewing it you can slide it up and it'll have things like copy username copy password if you have a one-time password which is the uh, six-digit code for two-factor authentication on websites you can copy that value to the clipboard real quick oh, it's really slick it's really sweet um 
our developers did a fantastic job on that for the release of the 6S last year. But this is really the first time I've personally gotten to use it, and it's fantastic. I must admit, it's the only reason, in fact, yeah, so you sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, force touch to bring up the little card, and then you just slide your finger up, and then you get copy username, copy uh, password open in one browser. I didn't know that was there. And I think a lot of people have had this issue with 3D Touch is that they don't realize just how many apps use it. Because like a lot of apps, no one really sort of publishes... They expect... Well, it's like Apple, isn't it? They expect a voyage of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look at 3D Touch as being kind of like uh, keyboard shortcuts on the Mac. Um they're there, they're very useful, but not exactly discoverable. We were chatting off air that you went for the Apple Watch. How are you finding that? Because mine is due to be delivered tomorrow. Uh, mine was just delivered yesterday evening. And uh, so I went to the gym yesterday and, uh, you know, tracked my workout there and went for a walk today, and which helped with the calibration because it uses the GPS outside to help calibrate your pace and everything. Uh, so yeah, uh, so far it's great. It's a lot faster than what I call the series zero, the original watch. I had that one as well. Uh, and, uh, the series zero, it was just very slow. Uh, watch OS three helped, but the series two is lightning fast. Just out of interest, if you've had it on charge in the morning, let's say you've had, well, I don't suppose you could ever say normal usage. What sort of battery life are you getting towards the end of the day? Well, since I haven't even had this watch uh, 24 hours yet, uh, all I can really say is about the Series Zero. But I got the Series Zero on day one, used it all the way up until yesterday, and uh uh, I get up about 6.30 in the morning and put my watch on, and I take it off about 12.30 at night. And I don't have to charge it in between, and I end up between 20 and 30% every day. So, Because one of the things I'm looking forward to testing is being at work for a day, doing all my normal stuff, making sure I leave the house with a full charge. Then I work about eight, eight, nine hours a day to seeing how, what sort of hit the battery is going to get once you start doing GPS uh, and obviously MP3 playbacks. I don't want to run with my phone anymore. So looking forward to trying that. So you're saying it's a lot, lot faster. Have you, does that mean you've used it more or are you still, well, I'm not certainly been a limited time, but are you still just looking at notifications on it? Uh, mostly I, I observed, uh, that apps are launching faster, uh, animations are smoother. Uh, the whole experience is just better. So have you had a fitness device before, or is this your first sort of fitness tracking device of this nature? Uh, I used to have a Fitbit one. It was the one that came with a little case that you could put it in and clip it on to like your pocket or something. Uh, and I used that for a couple years before I got the Apple Watch. I uh, lost it on a trip, unfortunately. Uh, I misplaced it and could not find it. And uh, I was sitting there thinking, do I buy another Fitbit? Do I get one of the wrist-based ones? Because those were just coming out at the time. Or do I wait for the Apple Watch? Because the Apple Watch had been announced the previous fall and was due to come out in a couple months. And I was like, I'm going to wait for the Apple Watch. So yeah, that's, uh, that's how that all started. 
I mean, they're going to cycle or run to one. I, the reason I asked is because I wondered if you'd done any heart rate monitoring, but if obviously if you've had a Fitbit, then probably not. Looking forward to getting it, though, tomorrow and seeing how it goes. I, I do use the heart rate monitor quite a bit. Uh, I mean, it, it records throughout the day into the health app on your iPhone, but uh, I wanted to see how good it was. And so when I was at a, a medical checkup once, uh, they take your blood pressure and your pulse and everything. And they did it all with one fancy device that goes on your arm. And I fired up my uh, heart rate monitor on the watch at the same time. And it was beat for beat the same. So really? Apple has done a pretty good job to get it at the same uh, calibration levels as what they use at, uh, at my physician's office. Well, that is a problem because that's been a topic recently where everyone's saying, "Oh, yeah, it's not as, it's not as good as a uh, what's it called? Well, the ones a chest rate heart monitor." But um, for me, it's all about well, no, nothing's ever going to be as good as medical grade equipment. But if you have a rough idea and you're using a certain instrument to do some measuring, you're not going to go and change your measurements like millimeters versus inches i suppose so i'm i'm going to be doing some testing of garmin heart rate monitoring versus the apple watch and i'm just sort of really hoping that the battery life has got substantially better so i can get a full day and my expectation is i want to be able to go to work fully charged i want it to be able to do what it's been doing on the series zero and in the day have enough in it for two hours of running or cycling plus mp3 if it hits that I'm going to be happy. Well, we'll we'll have to see how that goes. Well, let's crack on then. So, as we said at the top of the show, you're from 1Password. And we've been trying to get this on for a while now. And it's been my really, really bad planning and a few other mix-ups that have all been me. But we finally got you on the show. and it's quite. I I think we can blame Skype a little bit, too. Yeah, because you added me, I added you, and Skype just went, no, that's not happening. The ironic thing is, is that having you on today, I had an email from Airbnb who wanted me, just as a routine precaution, to reset my password. So I was having a look through how many password alerts I've had over the last two, three months. And at least three, four major companies and websites that I've signed up for have asked me to change my password just as a precaution. And this is exactly where 1Password comes in. Absolutely. And as I know, it sounds like I'm taking the mickey about don't use 1Password for your passwords, use 1Password. I subscribe to that fully because I, I probably haven't heard the show, but a couple of months ago, my Netflix account was hacked. And I had absolutely no idea until they ramped me up to the full four screen HD package. I still wouldn't have known if only they hadn't turned into Mexican. So you might, you, you could actually be sat there at home now. If you've got, if you're one of those people like me who have the same password, you could already be hacked. You may not know. And I've had, I've had something else happen. I've had a credit card um, charge come up. I don't think I've been hacked, but it certainly made me go through the sites that I visited that day and use one password. Um, to do all my passwords. So this, this isn't an information for one password. The whole point of this show, of the Essential Apple Show, is talk passionately about something that you like, and that's why we got you on. So before we go into everything about one password and subscription models and what it can do and the Apple Watch stuff, have you always been a bit of a geek, or did you learn to become one? I've been a geek since uh, my earliest uh, memories. Uh, my parents were always 
early adopters for technology. Uh, they had a CD changer before anybody else I knew. They always were on the cusp. They always bought, uh, they, they got compu a computer in our home very early. They got, uh, we had internet almost as soon as it was available in our city. Um, so I really learned this, uh, I don't know, addiction to technology from my folks. They were always on the cusp of technology. And so uh, that from when I was about five years old is uh, when I remember really getting into it and being fascinated with it. So were they Betamax or VHS types then? Uh well, they were from the generation where VHS was, uh, or that war was already decided by the time they were buying things. So it was VHS. Uh, but we got D a DVD player pretty early on um, when I was uh, uh, preteen and all that. And uh, but uh, yeah, in uh, 1990, my parents bought a Mac Classic, and uh, I can't tell you how many hours I spent on that thing. And what sort of things were you doing on the Mac? Was it a bit of gaming? Was it learning to program? Or was it just having a poke around to see what you could do on it? At five years old, it was mostly uh, playing games. Oh, um, yeah. I'm sorry, five years old. Yeah. Of course, you're not going to be... Yeah, at five years old, it was mostly playing games. We didn't have Swift Playgrounds back then. My, my eight-year-old son is absolutely into Swift Playgrounds right now. And... Uh, but, uh, yeah, I remember playing games on it. I also remember uh, it had... Uh, Claris works on it and Corel draw. And I would draw with the mouse. I'd draw pictures on it and it had this one tool, which was completely peculiar. It, it looked like a tornado. And what it would do is when you'd click down and drag it over, whatever you drew, it would scatter pixels all over the canvas. Uh, it would destroy your drawing. And I was, I don't know if what that says about me, but I just enjoyed destroying the things I drew. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, I just have a lot of fun memories of that Mac classic. So, yeah. So if you ever end up on the psychologist chair, you go, tell me about your earliest memories. Well, I remember a tornado and lots of destruction. Read into that one, Freud. So your first experience was the Mac classic then. Was there a bit of a gap between that Mac and your next Mac? Or did you go over to the dark side for any period of time? No, I never became a Windows user. Um in 94, my parents upgraded from the Mac Classic to a Power Mac 7400, and it had a 100 megahertz processor in it. And we used that pretty much right up until I went to college. Uh, but we, the thing that was great about that was you could open the case up and you could change out everything. And that's where my uh, penchant for tinkering really came in. I remember buying new RAM, uh, adding a modem inside, you know, going from an external to an internal modem. I remember adding USB and Firewire ports. Uh, I remember changing out that 100 megahertz uh, Motorola processor for a uh, G3 processor. Uh, that was and, and upgrading it from like system, uh, whatever it was, six or seven to like eight. Eight Mac OS 8.5 and Mac OS 9 and 9.1 and 9.2. Um, that machine never ran OS 10, unfortunately, but uh, it went through all of the classic OS stuff. 
And how did you find the transition going from the, the G series of process to Intel? Were you there on day one joining the Intel brigade? No, I didn't join uh, day one, uh, but I did join not too long after I made the transition from in. I was in college at this point and I went from an iBook G4 to a uh, black MacBook, which is still probably my favorite computer oh, they, I've yeah, had. They, when you ever see one in the airport, they'd still look absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I, it was well worth the extra 100 or 200, whatever it was for the black tax on that. Um, I look at the uh, black iPhone 7 I just got and I sit there and go, I want a MacBook in this color. Um, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, they they have nailed it with this new iPhone. And just to come off topic for a second, I can't explain, but for me, this feels more like my iPhone than any other iPhone. And it's such a stupid thing to say. I know, but I'm savagely protective now. A couple of people at work said, oh, can I have a look at it? And I'm going, no, 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 no. Uh, And it's the only, in fact, I've almost come close to not taking it to work because I haven't got a screen protector for it because, again, regulars to the show will know that I have a bit of a pawn shop for dropping things. So your iPhone history then, have you, what, what was your first iPhone? My first iPhone was the iPhone 3G. Uh, we didn't, my wife and I lived in uh, another state uh, at the, when we got married and the iPhone, the original iPhone came out and it was only on AT&T here in the States. And uh, AT&T was not where we lived at the time, but we moved a year later, right before the iPhone 3G came out and AT&T was available here in Lincoln. And I got the iPhone 3G. Um, that was my first iPhone. And then, uh, a uh, couple years later, I got the iPhone 4, which was a fantastic device. I still love that uh, glass-on-back look um, of it. it. It just looked classy. It had a nice uh, heft to it um, in your hand. You know, it just felt substantial, and it felt almost like you know a, a sculpture. And uh, and I was still on AT and T for that one. Then the iPhone five, I, I skipped all the S generations. Um, the iPhone five, I hopped over to Verizon, and then I had the six, and now the seven. And now I'm on the upgrade program, so I suppose I'll be getting a new iPhone annually now. How long after the launch of the iPhone seven did you get your iPhone seven as part of the upgrade program? Because I know there's been a quite a bit of uproar at the moment about people not getting their phones or there was this weird expectation that because you're part of this apple program you would get the phone on release how long did you have to wait Uh, i had it on release day but i think that's because i'm new to the upgrade program so it was actually mailed to me i didn't have to go through the apple store uh you know the local apple retail store i didn't have to go through that um as I understand it, the folks who went through the upgrade program who had signed up last year and this they were getting their first upgrade, uh, they got put into like a different queue and uh, where they had to go through the inventory of their local Apple store. And that's where the problems began from what I've been seeing. Oh, because that's interesting. Because here in the UK, we can't get the, we can't join the program as is. We have to actually go into a store and do it, which is something I'm hopefully that I'm going to do in a couple of weeks. Because when I bought my iPhone Seven, I made a bit of a mistake. 
uh, for some reason, I thought the smallest version was 64 gig. Nope, the smallest version is 32. And try as I might, I can't. I'd keep running out of space. I have to keep deleting things. I keep shuffling stuff around in. I just really, really can't do all the hassle. So what about your fellow colleagues then at Agile Bits? Are they all of the same uh, elk? Are they all Mac fans? Are they all got the latest new shiny? Or is, is, is it a bit of a hodgepodge? Oh, there's a variety. I mean, of course, we have our Windows team and our Android team because we are cross-platform. And, uh, you know, they like their respective devices. But uh, it, our roots are with the Mac. Uh, that's where 1Password started. And then it came to iOS and Windows and then Android. Um, but, you know, our roots are with the Mac. That's that's uh, so there's a if you were to take a survey amongst everybody in agile bits, there's definitely a, a weight towards the Mac and iOS side of folks who use those devices. Um, one thing I found interesting among my colleagues and even among uh, friends uh, personally is that a lot of people are going for the seven plus this year. Um, mainly I think because of that dual lens camera, uh, I'm very jealous of that dual lens camera but I just cannot stand to have something the size of a lunch plate in my pocket. Yeah, the new iPhone, well, the 7 Plus is basically the new iPad mini from what I can see. I I was tempted, I really was, but then it just, like you say, you nailed it on the head. It's, no, I I take my phone to many places with me, and plus how on earth, if I wanted to go running, am I going to carry that? I mean, it's bad enough having my back pocket stuff with an iPhone 7, let alone something that gargantuan. <laughs> yeah. Agile Bits, how, when did that company first get started? Tell us a little bit about the background, about the, com- the, the company known as Agile Bits. Yeah, so uh, we actually just celebrated our 10th anniversary this summer. It was started by Dave Tier and Rustam Karamov, uh, and they are still with the company. Uh, we are a completely uh, customer-funded company. We've never taken venture capital. Uh, we are true independent developers. And uh, it started with uh, them. They were making other applications for uh, Palm, actually, uh, back in the day. And they kept having to put in passwords on websites over and over and over again. And it got to be tedious. And so they created a little password manager real quick uh, to satisfy their own needs and then decided, hey, let's just see... uh, where this goes uh, and put it out. They put it out there for folks to, uh, to get. And uh, back then it was missing a couple letters. It was called one pass WD, <laughs> you know, it was one password, but they were, they were trying uh, to be the cool internet naming strategy of missing out letters. Right. Right. Yeah. They were trying to be, uh, trying to be funny with the name and missing a vowel and a, and a consonant and all that. Um, by version two, they they put the O and the R back in in the word, and uh, um, and it's just taken off from there. I actually started using One Password during version two, is when I first uh, stumbled across it and became a user and customer of One Password. And then a couple of years after that, I ended up joining the company. So. So you're a user of the product. How do you transform from a user to becoming the social media uh, chap for the company? Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, 
every once in a while you'll see we put on our blog uh, kind of a call out for folks to apply uh, if we need uh, developers or uh, mostly customer support is where we start most folks at. And uh, it was one of those times where they put it out on the blog that I saw that and said, oh, well, hey, that sounds cool. And I uh, submitted my application and after uh, an interview process, I joined the company and uh, I've been there just over four years. So yeah, uh, I started in customer support. Uh, most everybody starts there. Even if you're hired as a developer, you start in support because you have to know your customers. Uh, we we cannot emphasize that enough. You have to know your customers uh, at all levels. And uh, everybody in the company, even, even today, developers, co-founders, the CEO, everybody has some customer support time. Uh, so that way you never lose touch. Um, so I started in customer support and uh, I still am largely in customer support, but I've uh, moved throughout the years to wear a few hats and uh, I uh, help run the uh, social media now. I largely focus on Twitter and media outreach and communication uh, for publications and podcasts like yourself. Uh, I help set up advertising and other things like that. So have you ever had, or are you aware, has anyone ever actually applied to work at Agile Bits and then been all excited to be a developer, then pulled out because they've had to do, you know, I don't want to say the grunt work, but as you as you put it so great, the bare necessity of getting to know your customer. Anyone ever pulled out because of they've had to do that as part of the job? I I don't know for sure. Nobody, nobody in my tenure, no. And you've been there for how long now again? Just over four years. And have you seen much in, so what's it been like watching the technological landscape change and how's that had an impact uh, with One Password? Obviously, podcasts have got more popular. How have you found the transition from doing standard, yeah, what I would guess maybe four years ago, magazine-based advertising? If you tell us more about, you know, what you do on the social media aspect side of it. Uh, I haven't been involved with the advertising bit for terribly long, just a little over a year. Um, so I never dealt with any print advertising. Uh, I've mostly helped with, with, uh, setting up advertisements with, uh, uh, podcasts, uh, and, uh, but as far as the social media aspect, uh, I tell you what, that feels like it's, uh, one of the most direct and rapid ways to keep your finger on the pulse of your customer base. Um, it moves very quickly. Uh, and but you can if you're on top of it you can have almost live conversations with folks uh and you see just a range of things you do deal with a lot of help requests but you see a range of things of just people wanting to start making their lives better with uh better password habits and uh folks coming to the point where they need to develop these habits for better security and being able to help folks with that is great. And when seeing when they click with it and have that aha moment is very, very, very rewarding. 
I can say firsthand when I when I first got first password, I remember because I was going, "How do I use it?" Because again, I'm yeah, I don't go read manuals. That's the stuff of well, that's just barbaric going off reading manual. And it didn't take me. It didn't take me long. Before we go into more about the actual product, if you were to describe one password to someone who's never heard of it, although we're somewhat thirty minutes into the podcast, what would be your elevator pitch for? One password for someone who's never heard of the company, Agile Bits, or the product. Uh, my elevator pitch would be that one password is where you keep all of your most important information. Uh, not just your passwords, but all of it. You can keep your credit card details, um, your social security numbers, uh, and all sorts of other things, your passport information. It's where all the important stuff that you need to keep safe, but also accessible that's where it goes. No more sticky notes, no more having to look around for anything. It all goes in one password. I will admit, the more and more I use one password, the more it aggravates me that not all uh, use, and, and to be fair, not every single username and password box does let you have the little one password key to put the password in. But if you've got the share sheet, you just literally flick up, share sheet, done. It's really, really that easy. And for those really awkward times where you're on a website in Safari and the dialog box is a bit clunky, you can go into one password, force touch, click copy username, paste it, click copy password, paste it. And even if that does sound like a bit of a faff, you've got to remember that you're not copying a standard password. If you use one password to generate a password, you can get some horrifically complex passwords and no matter what someone tries to do, it's not going to be attackable by brute force or guessable in any way, shape or fashion. And it's got me to the point now where I'm going onto sites like Amazon, typing in my old password, which I used to have, and it's not working. And then suddenly it clicks on me that, aha, yes, I've got a complex password set up. So for me and the rest of the guys on the Essential Apple team, you know, we rave about it because it really, really is that good. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the Mac, uh, we have and and the Mac and Windows, we have browser extensions for Chrome and Firefox uh, on both platforms. Safari on the Mac, of course. And if you have those extensions installed uh, with one password for Mac, you can just use a keyboard shortcut Command uh, backslash, and it will. Uh, that's the trigger for it to go to work and fill in the form for you. And it's uh, it's really fantastic for it to do that. And then on iOS, we have our share sheet extension. Uh, it's actually an action extension. Uh, that's what those uh, black and white icons on the bottom row are. They're action extensions. So we have our action extension that works in Safari. Um, and then in the share sheet of apps that have integrated our API. And that's an iOS restriction and one I, I really agree with in how Apple maintains security between apps is that we can't just go and inject our, our API into another app. The developer of that app needs to add our API. That does mean that we don't have universal adoption, but it's all done in a very secure fashion. and. Clearly, our focus is on security. I used that very. I used that very feature today. What I was on. Uh, that was right. I I was on Slack on my iPhone, and you get the little. What is it like? A little round circle with what looks like a keyhole. Yeah, it, it's in a, it? it's a keyhole. It's a, it's our uh, it's our icon miniaturized. 
And oh, yeah. that's ah, that's what it is. That makes sense now. And to give you an idea again how good it is, I pressed on that button. Uh, the, the is it the share sheet at the bottom to get my terminology? The a dialog box yep. comes up on the screen. Yep, or the share, share sheet. sheet comes up. Uh, yep. And I have a couple of usernames, so I literally tapped the one that I wanted to. Not only did it fill in my username, but with Slack, it automatically takes you to the next screen to put your password in. And I was thinking, okay, right now I'm going to have to do the same action again. Nope. Because they'd implemented the API properly, it was literally one tap, and I was logged in. And it's just like... Yeah, and uh, another another great thing, Slack went the extra mile with our API, and uh, not only does it fill in your username, not only does it advance to the next screen and fill in the password, but if you have a two-factor auth on your Slack setup and you've recorded that into 1Password using the one-time password feature, it will advance to another screen, and it will grab the current one-time password code before it refreshes and enter that too. Slack has done an amazing job at implementing our API. Uh, I was, I'm blown away by, I mean, it's good enough when you get to see a website that you can, you know, tap on the bottom and use the, uh, the action sheet to do one password, but when it's actually built into an application, it has, what's it? Is it OneDrive? Has that got it built in? I know I've used it. I believe so. Yeah. I know I've used it a couple of times today, and it's just like, oh, this is how it should be. And the passwords you want about security, they're held securely. You can host them with, let me think, Dropbox, Gmail, and oh, no, Google Drive. Yep. And... No, uh, it's a Dropbox, iCloud. Uh, you can use a WLAN server uh, where it runs, where you run a server on your Mac. And it can sync to your iPhone or iPad just on your local wireless network. And then we have our onepassword.com service. And obviously, this password file is ridiculously encrypted, I'm going to assume. Yes, we use a 256 bit encryption on our OP Vault format, which is our latest format, and also on our subscription service. Uh, so we use 256 bit end to end encryption. Uh, so decryption only happens on your local device. It doesn't happen on the server. It, your network traffic is not unencrypted. It is end-to-end encrypted. And of course, you can do the thing where you get to unlock one password using Touch ID, which again, I love doing because just pick yeah. up the phone, touch it, and it's so, oh, this is starting to sound like one of those weird infomercials. So with, with all <laughs> the, we're, not wearing, we're not wearing funny headsets, though. I'm, my one does look a bit ridiculous on me, but that's only because I'm ridiculously overdue a haircut. So I look like, um, probably look like Kenny Rogers with the mullet, or a bit like Kenny <laughs> Powers, to give another reference, if anyone knows he's bounding down. I think I'm the only person watching that at the moment. So, I tell you what, though, you mentioned Touch ID, and that is one of my favorite features we've ever added to 1Password for iOS. I absolutely love it. Uh, it is a fantastic feature. Yeah, uh, Touch ID all round, especially what they've done on... I still get into grips with this because sometimes you press Touch ID on iOS 10 and then it says Touch again to unlock and then other times it goes straight through. So I'm still I'm still getting used to that. But, oh, if I could... Just going very, very, very much off topic. Thanks to everybody on the Twitter, and I've never had such a response to something we had on the show about my problem with not being able to use laser beams 
when sending messages. Uh, we did eventually work it out in, on actually on the show uh, that to use laser beams, fireworks, and all the other stuff, you have to turn off reduce uh, animations. Motion. That's yeah, the reduce word. Reduce motion. Uh, so don't worry, everyone. But it just goes to show how many of you listen to the end of the show. Dean, I'm talking to you. He knows who he is. Well, I'll tell you what, Chris, this seems as good a time as any to take a break and head over to Nemo's hardware store. And this week, it's all about iPhone 7 cases. So it's bang on point. So, John, over to you. The new iPhones are here, and you know what that means. The new cases are here at Nemo's hardware store. I don't know how the case companies do it so quickly, but by Friday when the phone was released, I already had cases from three companies that I've never even heard of before ready for our inventory. The first company is Silk Innovation, silkinnovation.com. They have four cases, the ones we've received, ranging in price from $15 up to $40 in the U.S., and Mark will have the links and the UK prices that he'll have in our show notes for this particular episode. We have a pure view case, which is a clear case with some gold fleck on it. You can actually see the back of your case, but there's a nice gold fleck to make it a little bit different. There's a folio style case called the Sophie SOFI, Sophie Wallet Fashion Case. And all of these cases come in different colors and different sizes for both the large plus size and the standard 7 phone. And they all come with a clear screen protector. There is a larger wallet size case called the Folio Wallet Case for iPhone 7. This comes with a handle strap and also a giant rubber band to keep the case closed instead of a magnet. And the fourth one is their most popular, which is called the Q Card Case by CM4 ultra slim wallet case this one is a very very nice grippy rubbery and it does have a slot in the back for up to three credit cards another new company to us called ballistic sent us their jewel essence which is a clear back with a nice rubbery bumper sides and one of my favorites the urbanite select which has like a wooden strip of floor sort of like an oak flooring as a design on the back but it's embedded into the rubber part of the back. Very nice, strong cases from Ballistic. Drop test certified up to 1.8 meters. The prices for the Ballistic are in the $30 to $40 range for the iPhone 7 cases, which we have received, which is Go Ballistic case for the colors, styles, and sizes, including the Giant 7 Plus that Carl has. And my personal favorite comes from a new company called Terrapin. TerrapinAccessories.co.uk. Very affordable. And they have a beautiful all-leather case with a snap-in insert that does have a magnet to close the top. And it does have room for your cards inside. So this is probably the one I'm going to be using personally when I get my 7 phone soon. And the one my wife wants is a little bit bigger. It has room for more cards and a little bit of money on the inside. Also a leather case, but this has a snap flap to close it over with a snap flap. So please go to Terrapin Accessories to see this brown compartment case in addition to the leather case that I will be using. And also they have the plus size. Thanks for listening. Nemo's Hardware Store, back next week. Cheers, John, once again for another Nemo's Hardware Store. You can find everything you want to know about the cases over at EssentialApple.com and maybe this week in the show notes if I can get them to work properly. And of course, 
the Amazon affiliate link. You all know the drill by now, or if you don't, if you're a new listener, we are funded by Amazon commission links. So if you affiliate links, I should say, not commission, maybe they're one in the same. If you purchase anything from Amazon, and hopefully it's going to be one of the cases that John has mentioned, we get a very small amount of commission from anything you buy. So if you go there and buy, let's say, some socks or washing powder, we'll get a very small kickback from that. So once again, that's essentialapple.com. Go and look for the latest podcast episode and follow links from there. It's much appreciated by the whole team here. Back to 1Password. Of all the features that you've had in 1Password, what's been some of the, the best and best features, the ones that you and the team are particularly proud of? Uh, I'm particularly proud of uh, adding the uh, Touch ID for one thing, just because of the ease of use that has, and it had so much positive response from folks. Um, And then I have two others that I'm very proud of, uh, that we added the extension API for iOS, being able to use one password in Safari on iOS or within apps that have adopted our API, which that list is growing every week. Um, And some of the most popular apps on the App Store have added us. I mean, it's in Twitter, it's in Evernote, and just a bunch of other apps. And that has just made things so much easier on one of the most used platforms ever known in the world. And then uh, I also really like what we've done with our password generator in the last year or so, where Uh, You mentioned earlier that you can generate these ridiculous passwords um, where they can be 30, 40, 50 characters of just gibberish. Um, But those aren't always easy to type. And there's some services that you need to be able to remember what your password is. And I think of things like your Apple ID. You need to be able to know what that is. And uh, so we've added this uh, mode to the password generator called the words generator. And it's just a little tab that in uh, in on the Mac password generator and you slide over on the iOS generator and it it generates these passwords that are made up of real words, but they're randomly chosen. It follows the same methodology as Diceware. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but uh, nope, never heard of it before. Yeah, so there's an excellent uh, comic by XKCD that uh, explains Diceware very well. And it's uh, at xkcd.com slash 936. <laughs> A great way to explain it is that we have these passwords that people have been trained to do over the years before the password generator ever existed, where they'd make up a word and substitute some of the vowels for numbers and add a special character somewhere. And they're very hard to remember. They're usually very short and a machine can rip through those really fast. But if you take some random words and put them together, uh, so they make a phrase that's memorable, but doesn't really make sense. And XKCD uses the example of correct horse battery staple. It doesn't make sense, but it's really long and it's really resistant to uh, a machine being able to crack it because it has a lot of entropy. And so you, you have this password that's easy for you to memorize, easy for you to type, and, but it's highly resistant to being guessable. 
another feature that I did not know about, and I'm the one going, don't use one password, use one password. Uh, I've just gone in now, done three uh, a three letter, sorry, three word password. I've got beyond hyphen purse hyphen hype. That's not bad. That's yeah. memorable. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, obviously the more words you add, the higher the entropy. Um, I like uh, four or five words for some of these. Uh, um, I found that this is a great way to come up with a good, memorable, and strong master password for 1Password. So we actually, with our 1Password.com service, when you're signing up, if you don't, you it, it asks you to type in a master password. And if you don't know what to type, you can actually use a generator right there on the web that will help you create a, uh, a words-generated password. And it's really handy and really easy. So that's been some of the best features that you've uh, that you've listed for us. What's been some of the more, shall we say, least well-received ideas that you've touted around or some of the features that might have bombed slightly internally or externally? If you've got anything like that you could share with us? So, yeah, one that comes to mind. Uh, and we didn't we didn't change course on it. We stuck it out, but it was one uh, password's logo in in version three and prior uh, was a lock icon, a keyhole icon with a, a key. It almost looked like a car key. It had that big black plastic end on it, um, it laid over the top of the icon. And the icon for our browser extension. Uh, was just the key kind of at a diagonal. And when we released version four, we switched to this, uh, the icon you know today, um, or uh, a different version of it, but the same idea of where it's just the keyhole with this blue ring around it. And we changed the extension icon from that diagonally set key to the little circle with the little lock keyhole icon that is the same thing we have today and you see it in our extension for our um for our mobile app as well on ios uh as you noted earlier and we received a lot of complaints about that uh folks missed the key and but uh and they were some folks said that they were getting it confused with like uh, an information circle where it has a little circle with a lowercase I in it. And uh, yeah, I can see where folks got that and we got a lot of pushback on it, but we stuck with it. But now with the advent of retina displays, uh, I think a lot of that is subsided uh, because now it's much more clear on a retina display. The retina display as well. Just coming back to the iPhone 7, yet again, people can probably tell that I absolutely adore mine, aside from the fact it's 32 gig. It does seem to have, oh, I hate using this word, it sounds like social marketing and all that sort of stuff. It does seem to to pop. And I don't just think it's because they've ramped up the colour brightness. It's just, I don't know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I just love looking at the screen. I think it's popped a lot, too. Uh, I think a lot of it might have to do with that new color profile they're using, uh, the cinematic P3 profile. Uh, I've just noticed everything looks just amazing on it. And the stereo speakers as well. The first time that Marimba played when I had a phone call, it's like, oh, you can actually hear the stereo separation. But it does sound a little bit after a few days that, 
all they've really done is ramped up the earpiece and having one speaker pointing at you, one at the bottom. I don't know if that makes for the best placement or separation, but I've got to say that when I've had it in my car and I've been driving along, if I've been listening to a podcast, my phone's on a fraction of the volume that it was with um, one speaker. Have you done much audio listening with both speakers? Uh, yeah, um, my my son likes to uh, have me pull up like Minecraft videos and stuff like that on YouTube, and I've noticed it, and uh, it sounds pretty good. I you know I've listened to some music with it, and uh, uh, yeah, this the the how they're pointed with one out the bottom and one straight at you uh, is a little odd, but I think they achieve a fairly good balance for what they're doing with it, and uh, I think it's perfectly acceptable for the first crack at it and i think it'll only get better and just while we're on the topic of the seven again what's your thoughts on the uh the new touch id sensor to me it feels like the the new magic trackpad it actually feels like the whole bottom quarter of the iphone is sinking beneath your thumb what's your thoughts on it I agree. And I have the magic trackpad too, uh, to use with my Mac and I love it. It's fantastic. And that tricks me into thinking that the whole thing is moving at like it should, um, with the iPhone, it does kind of feel like I'm squishing the screen into the aluminum casing almost when I press the home button. And it, it was very jarring the first couple days, but I, I have to say I've kind of come around to it. It, it works really well. Um, my iPad mini, uh, when I push the home button on that, it almost feels squishy now. And, uh, so I don't know. I, I like it, but it is definitely, uh, one that takes some, uh, acclimating. I pretty much loved it from the get go. It, I, I can't explain it. It just feels so nice. And I know I'm in the minority of this, although we did see the articles come out that people are outraged that they couldn't press their buttons uh, without having, sorry, they couldn't press a touch ID without having a T-shirt over their hands. And then that was subsequently uh, subsequently dismissed. I suppose we should. No, we'll do that in the end, actually. We should really talk about the missing headphone ports, but it's it's a testament to just how good Apple's marketing has been that the last thing we think about or I thought about to talk about was the missing headphone ports. But now we're going off track. Let's go back on to 1Password. So for those of you out there now, you'll see that 1Password pretty, pushes pretty heavily the subscription model, which is where a great deal of apps seem to be going. When was, the, when was that moment where... Agile Bits decided to go subscription. And can you tell us more about the thought process of why you went down that avenue? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, we started work on what eventually became 1Password Teams. And that's what we started developing first. And uh, we had been getting requests for years of being able to collaborate with other people using one password, but, and, and you could use vaults where you could share a vault file to somebody over Dropbox, but you both had to know the master password for that. And if the other person ever cut ties with you, um, you could revoke the share, but they'd still have a copy of that, uh, of that, vault file and they'd still know the master password and have access to all the contents in it uh 
right up until you went and changed everything because obviously once you revoke their sharing access on Dropbox, you nothing that you change will sync over to their thing. So you could invalidate their data, but it'd be a lot of work. And it was really a pain for folks who needed it for a work situation, especially if a team member uh, resigned or uh, what have you. Um, so we started work on this, building our own uh, service that would handle sync and also team management. And so we built in these controls where you could uh, have permissions for vaults. And so you could have these vaults that everybody could uh, have access to or only a certain number of people could have access to. And you could sit there and say, okay, Mary has access to this vault, but John doesn't. And uh, Tim has access to this vault, but he has a lower level of access than Mary does. He can only use the uh, credentials to fill in forms, but he can't like reveal the password. He can't edit it. You know, he can only use the extension to fill it. And he'll never know what that password is because he can't see it and he can't copy it. He can't paste it. He can only use the extensions fill mechanism for it. Um, and so then let's say Tim resigns and needs to leave the company. You could revoke his access and know that he never knew those passwords. So you don't have to go and change them. Um, we also were able to implement using this system. Uh, recovery features that people have wanted for so long, where let's say you are in a work environment and you're the admin for your team and one of the, uh, or you're one of the admins because you have multiple admins uh, and one of your uh, folks that is on your team says, Hey, I, uh, I can't remember my master password. I forgot it. You know, I've been using touch ID all the time and I just can't remember what my master password was. Well, back in the day, if you forgot your master password, you are sunk. Your data is yep. irrecoverable. You just can't get to it. I mean, because we never know your master password. We can't help you. Um, we've made it so we never know it. Even with this new system, we don't know it. We never know it. And so we can't help you. But if you're part of a, a part of one password teams, your team admin or one of your admins or an owner has recovery uh, abilities and they can start account recovery on you and allow you to reset your master password and get back into your data. And that was requested for so long and it's so useful. So we started developing that a couple years ago and we put Teams into uh, public beta last November. And uh, that went really well and in, Probably a few weeks into it, we after we had announced the public beta, we had a lot of people asking, I want this for my family. You know, I want this for my my spouse. I want this for my children. I even want to bring my parents into it and kind of be the uh, the the person who can help manage all this for even my folks. And so we took the team's structure and we modified it a bit to make sense for families because with families, you really don't have to worry about somebody leaving the family in most cases. Um, you know, uh, 
And so we don't need all the uh, lockouts there as, as we do in teams uh, and access levels. Um, basically in families, we, this is what became one password families, which we released in February. And so with that, you have, um, you can have up to five people in the base plan of it and you can add another person or one at a time, uh, for an extra dollar a month. And I'll get into the pricing and everything in a bit, but, um, but you have these access controls where I can sit there and say, like, for my own son, uh, he can view this vault and use it, but he can't edit anything. I don't want him changing our Netflix password. You know, uh, that'd be horrible. Um, and so he can't edit stuff, but he has access to the vault that is shared with everybody in the family. Uh, whereas I have a separate vault for my wife and I that only we can access that uh my son's not included in like i just didn't even add him to the vault so there's this shared stuff which has things like you know insurance stuff and all that other stuff that uh that uh, are needed between uh spouses and so you know we have that vault that is just for us and then i have my own personal vault and this is i forgot to cover this but with teams and families everybody on the team or in the family gets their own private personal vault too that nobody else can access and it can't be shared and so that is a nice feature as well and so these all use our server infrastructure which has recurring cost i mean we we have to pay the to have the servers. Um, so this is where subscription really became a necessity, but you know, it's not enough to just go with just a sync service. And so what we did to make the subscription make a lot of sense for customers is that you, instead of selling all the apps individually, like we did with the license model, which we still have and we still support and will continue to support and continue to have. Uh, with the subscription model though, all the apps are included. So you'd never have to worry about, do I have a license for Windows? If you suddenly have Windows come into your life, you know, you just have it. You just go download it, you sign into your account, all your data comes in. Um, and you also get free upgrades for major major versions. So in the license model, as has been done for decades, when a major new version comes out, there's an upgrade fee, right? Yeah, that's in, yeah, that's how way it's always been done. And that's been the the major bugbearer of the app store, hasn't it? That there's been no way to upgrade. Right. That that is definitely one thing with the app store. And so um although we love the app store, we've seen great success with the app store. Uh, but you know, you have these, uh, upgrade prices for licenses and, uh, we've used that model. Um, but with subscription, because we don't have to sit there and think, Oh, we need revenue every couple of years. So that way we can keep making one password. Um, we can offer upgrades for free to subscribers. And so, you know, presumably when one password seven comes out, when we develop that, our subscribers will get that for free. And one password eight after that, one password nine after that, subscribers will get that. And so that is one of the big perks of uh, the, the, the major perks of this uh, system are that you have uh, 
all the apps, all the upgrades, as long as you're a subscriber, and you don't have to worry about sync. You don't have to fiddle with any sync service. You just sign in and it works. And after that, uh, you have other great features like in families and teams, you have the ability to do account recovery. You have permissions controls. You have unlimited items, unlimited vaults. You can do all these great things. And then after we released families and then brought one password teams out of beta, um, we saw that a lot of folks were like, well, families is great, but I'm, I don't have a family yet. I'm just one person. Uh, so we started, uh, we, we came out with this summer one password individuals. And so, which we just honestly refer to as one password. Um, but it's when you're comparing the three, it's nice to say individuals. And so with that though, you don't get the account recovery stuff because there's nobody else to recover, to, to have recovery permissions for you. Um, we have some ideas there about how we might be able to to bring that to fruition in the future. But, you know, there's a lot to work out there, especially with the encryption model. Um, but so there, that is one thing you don't get with individuals. Otherwise you get all the same stuff of having the, all the apps, all the upgrades and never having to worry about sync. When you made that shift from doing the standard way of paying once for an application and people were only getting it right to the subscription model, what was the sort of feedback that you were getting from the customer base? Was there much pushback against that or was it readily accepted? It's important to note that we didn't change models. We added a model. Uh, like I said, we still sell licenses for those that want them. Uh, but we do press our subscription model pretty heavily for new users because it is the best way to use one password. It is just so simple, so clean. But you can absolutely if you if you're a new customer and you still want a license, you can still buy a license. Um, so there was some initial resistance in that folks did think that we were ditching license and going full subscription but we were able to talk with our customers uh through twitter through email through discussion forums and even through live chat on our site that um we're not ditching licenses we're we're still we were built on licenses for 10 years we love our license model uh we know that it that is the best option for some folks uh but we think the subscription model has something to it too. And as soon as folks learned that licenses aren't going away, a lot of the heat died down. A lot of folks were like, oh, okay, so I don't have to go subscription. I, nothing has to change unless I want it to. And that's the beautiful thing about offering customers choice um, is that when you put power in their hands, they love it. They, they love having the ability to choose what's best for them. And so that's the way we went. And that's the way we're going to continue to go uh, for the foreseeable future, because that's the way we know and it works. So why change it? 
I will admit, I was of the same ilk of, well, I'm not sure if I'm keen on paying, you know, this monthly subscription thing. But then it suddenly started dawning on me that, well, okay, as long as the application is good and it has the functionality and I know that it's a brand or a product or a company that I can start investing my trust into, suddenly that makes it a lot easier. There's one application now, I won't name it because they know my feelings because I've been in email contact with them this week about it, who they're charging money for on a subscription level. That's pretty much up there with things like uh, Adobe Photoshop and Microsoft Office, which, let's face it, yeah, they're huge. They can afford to do subscriptions at, you know, cutthroat rates. But if you've got an app that doesn't perform, I think they have a problem. And that's where you nail it with 1Password is that I've seen for the last sort of six months, and I'm still doing my review, I promise, I've seen the, the new teams come out and I've been more and more tempted to go from buying that one version to going, well, you know, this is a good product. And hopefully now we're coming at the back end of this race to the bottom, uh, especially with uh, Marco Arment. So I think he's gone subscription-based. I can't quite remember it now. But some of the yeah, big... He added, yeah, a, he added Overcast Premium, which has a, a couple things in it. So, yeah. And once you start getting the big players on board who can release a good product, now admittedly, yeah, they've got a whole big marketing back into them, but again, that's a whole different story. It suddenly becomes, oh, you know what? That's fairly good for a no-brainer. And especially now with Apple actually coming out and saying, if you want to charge a subscription, you must give something back for that money. You can't just release an app and let it die. So with that in mind... Are you able to give us any insights of what may be happening with OnePassword down the road with regards to any new features or developments? You know, I would love to, but uh, our our business is keeping secrets, and I'm going to keep those secrets. So you've obviously been testing on the new iPhone then, because let's face mm-hmm. it, everyone else is talking about the new iPhone. Uh, well, I think, Chris... I was going to try and pronounce your last name there, but I'm not going to massacre it anymore. And I already have. I think <laughs> I think we've covered everything well quite nicely about one password and one of the reasons why you should consider it in the world of being secure and everything like that. So uh, I'll tell you what. Let's go on to worth a chirp. <laughs> Has there been any particular apps that sort of caught your eye recently? Uh, yeah. So um, an app that I really, really have loved lately is, um, and I've been using it for more than a month, but I really love it, especially on Watch OS 3, uh, is Pedometer Plus Plus by David Smith. And uh, it, it simply uh, tracks your steps, but it does it in such a way that is uh, really amazing because not only does your iPhone have a motion coprocessor in it that counts your steps, but your watch can count your steps as well. And you can look in the activity app and see your steps, but uh, it's only actually bringing in the steps from the watch uh, for the activity app, not the phone. And there's certainly times where you are, let's say, in the grocery store and you're pushing the cart and your wrist isn't moving. So steps aren't being counted there, but you might have your phone in your pocket. And so that can count steps. But the activity app doesn't look at the phone if the watch is present. And so what Pedometer Plus Plus does is it 
merges the data from your steps. It has a, an algorithm that can figure out which device is providing the most accurate information for any given second. And it counts the steps from that second from that device on which one is doing the better job. And it merges them to give you a better overall picture of your motion throughout the day. And uh, I've become over the last year and a half very adamant about uh, my fitness and uh, trying to lose weight and be healthier. And part of that is going for walks frequently. And so I get obsessive about uh, having uh, all of these steps counted correctly. And David Smith's app, Pedometer Plus Plus, does the best job I've seen. And when you reach your goal, you get um, this pixelated confetti that bursts from the top of the screen. And it's uh, it's silly, but it's kind of rewarding in a way. I, I always try to get to my confetti. So, yeah, I really uh, I really like that app. It's a it's a free app. Um, it's supported by advertising, but uh, he uh, in, in the uh, settings, you can scroll all the way down and there's a tip jar and you can give a generous tip of a dollar, a massive tip of two dollars or an amazing tip of five dollars. And if you choose I, any one of those, um, it will uh, remove the ads from the app and it's fantastic. Uh, it also has little statistics in there. And so I'm just going to read mine right here from the settings in the app. It says I've taken 4,616,649 steps, which equals 2,083.9 miles using pedometer plus plus. And then it says that's 15 Ironman triathlons holy moly so yeah that is my that would be my pick is pedometer plus plus it's a very simple app but it is changed my life in making sure i'm motivated to get out and stay fit yeah i've uh, this is would be one of my bugbearers with the apple watch and iphones i'm i look at the i look at the data that you can see in activity uh in the actual health app and sometimes you see crossover of data times. So you'll see like 12 steps on your Apple Watch, but 15 steps done on your iPhone. And they all have a crossover mm -hmm. date. And it's like, so what is actually, yes, I know one device takes precedent of the other, but if it's, if it's at the same time, is Apple intelligently filtering it? Um, that's something I've been trying to work out for ages. Plus, Garmin. Will you please, if anyone from Garmin is listening to this show, stop writing activities twice. And if I go running, I've gone running. If I've gone cycling, I've not gone cycling. Because I've been discovering the more and more I keep looking at the data that Garmin keeps writing to my phone. Uh, I did a cycle 31 miles the other day. It had me down as running. So I had to go and delete that out. Uh, and then Strava, that's just as bad at times. That double writes application, that double writes the data as well. So again, handy hint. I know we covered this last week. If you are using the Apple Watch and or the iPhone, every now and again, just go into health, go into data sources and just do a double check to make sure that things have doubled up. Um, I don't suppose you've tried Strava on the Apple Watch 3, have you? No, I haven't used Strava. I I uh, used to do running and I uh, would use uh, Nike Plus for that, uh, but I had an issue with my knee and need, needed to stop running. So I've, I'm a full-time walker now. Uh, so I don't see much use for Strava. I just hit an outdoor walk workout on my watch and take the dog with me. So, yeah. 
that's what I do now. My my sorry, my podcasting colleague, Mr. Carl Madden, he's been sharing his activity rings uh, with me this week, and he <laughs> has thrashed me every single day this week. And I'm the one doing the training, and he's just sort of like, "Oh, Carl's just competing activity and thrash me yet again." But Carl, I'll be getting my own back this weekend. So, how many calories is your move goal every day? Uh, right now, uh, I've had to manually adjust it, uh, but I should be on 650 calories a day, uh, and I'm hitting on average about 80% of my target, which is bonkers considering how much running around I do in work and then the cycling I'm doing after work and I'm barely hitting my target. Yeah. Yeah. I have mine set for 600, uh, and some days it's a struggle and other days it's not. So but yeah, to- I, I hear you there. So. Uh, tomorrow's the day of reckoning as well, because uh, obviously the watch arrives with me. I'm going to go for a cycle, but I'm just thinking if I record my cycle with the built-in health app, that's not going to be shareable on Strava, or you. I don't think you can export the activity. So I'm not quite sure what to do there. I might have to switch over to RunKeeper and see what happens there. So that's going to be my uh, my task for tomorrow. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> My word for chirp potentially is going to be Google Trips, which is a way, which is an app from Google that collates all of your data about any upcoming trips. Basically, it's an app that will scour your Gmail inbox and collate all your trip information. So you have all your reservations there, your times, your planning, and it helps you sort everything out. Uh, it looks interesting. I'm going to be trying it this weekend because I've got to go to Bristol. Um, for a half marathon or slight problem there is I haven't booked the hotel yet and we have 10,000 people descending into Bristol so if you live in the Bristol and or Somerset area and know of a good place to stay that's not too expensive get in touch with the show and that reminds me you can get in touch with the show via Facebook Google Plus you can follow me on Sunday via at Ocean Speed or follow the show at Essential Apple and Chris how can they get hold of you, find out more about the products, Agile Bits, and anything else? Uh, yeah, the best place to go is just onepassword.com. Uh, that's where you can find uh, one password, uh, one password families, one password teams. Uh, right there on the landing page, you can click play right at the top, and there's a nice little uh, uh, sandwich video uh, from the folks over at Sandwich Video that. Uh, does a great job at explaining one password in just about a minute. And uh, it's a fantastic product. And uh, when you scroll all the way down on a couple of the pages, you can even see our entire team on one of our company retreats. Uh, so you can see uh, the folks that uh, are making the product and helping you out when you write into support. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, we're very people focused and it's a great company. Well, Chris, thank you ever so much for giving up your valuable time. I know it's uh, it's still the middle of the workday-ish for you guys over there, is it? Yeah, yeah, I got about an hour left, so yeah. Chris of OnePassword.com, again, another final thank you for coming on the show, especially with my, should we say, interesting scheduling skills. You're welcome. Glad to be here. And that is the show done for another week. We'll be back next week at some point or Wednesday or Thursday with another look at the world of Apple 
in our own British way with a few chaps being in the pub. You can get hold of me via EssentialApple.com on the Twitter at EssentialApple. And if you want to follow me for the next two weekends whilst I put myself through the pain and misery of doing two half marathons, you can get hold of me personally at Ocean Speed. So until next week, why not follow us on the Google Plus community or the Facebook pages? If you want to get hold of John, you can do so, do so I should say, via MyMac.com. And of course, don't forget the rather excellent Mac and Forth podcast with Carl Madden over at MacandForth.com. So until next week, cheerio everyone. Cheers. <laughs>